This is the Gambling Gauchos. Sorry, just waiting on my co-host Rob. Uh, before he gets in here, uh, first off, I'm in the Whataburger drive through line, so I'll have to hop off for like two seconds to grab my order here in a minute. Uh, but thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Gauchos After Dark, sponsored by our friends over at Barnett, Howard & Williams. They are a law firm based out of Fort Worth, but they handle cases all across the state of Texas. They hope you never need them, but they're here in your corner. If you do, they've been uh, fantastic supporters of the Gauchos this football season. Uh, they do all kinds of great work. They are one of the few law firms in Texas that is certified for Title IX litigation. Uh, they also do criminal defense, family law. So, like we said, hope you never need them, but you've got somebody good in your corner. If you do, bhwlawfirm.com. Rob, I'm sending you the co-host invite, and then we can get this party started. Um, I guess we'll go straight to the people while we're waiting. We've got uh, Sig Hansen is first. Let me get him added as a speaker, and we'll go straight to the people and then get into the rest of this. Uh, Sig, you are up, man. What's up? Gaucho, how you been, buddy? Uh, great win tonight. Uh, field goal. Incredible. But uh, from your perspective, who do you think is the clear-cut winner of uh, Big 12 this year? Oh, for the regular season, I think you'd have to say TCU. You know, they were picked seventh, finished first, and uh, nobody in the world, even probably the most diehard TCU fans, thought they were going to be in the playoff. Uh, I think some other schools obviously had great seasons themselves. And, and, you know, they've got to finish the job in Arlington next weekend. But just based on regular season alone, I'd have to say TCU. But, like, with K-State, with the momentum going their way, I know big win over KU. I know heartbreak for, uh, you know, Tech losing in Manhattan. you gotta you got to give it to K-State. I mean, they, they have got all the momentum going their way. But uh, I, I have to I have to – tip the hat to K-State in Arlington uh, next week. What do you think? I'm curious to see this opening line. Um, there, I'm sure there already is one. I haven't seen it. I would not be shocked if it was like a pick or even maybe K-State minus one, minus two. Uh, I, I think I, I don't think it's a given that TCU is going to win that game, even though um, obviously they're undefeated and have the playoff spot on the line. So, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm definitely not ruling out K-State potentially winning that game. And if that's the case, then, yeah, I think you, you would have to give the nod to Kansas State. Um, I just thought you meant, like, to this point, based on the regular season only. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, your, uh, your unmitigated takes on K-State, I mean, being a K- – I'm a I'm a huge K State fan though through and through, but uh, we're big we're big tech fans through and through. I'm so happy you beat those those bastards and uh, OU fans. So fuck them. We can't wait for them to leave uh, and uh, go to the Big Twelve. Big 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 twelve guys. Yeah, well, no, hey, we we love K State fans and y'all have a great squad this year. Uh, I would imagine, especially with all the cactus drama from this summer, I would imagine most tech fans are going to be pulling for y'all next weekend. Uh, Rob, you want to jump in here? Do you have any differing thoughts on that question? Go Raiders! Yeah, hey man, Sig, this is a family program. What are you doing, dude? Dropping the F-bomb and everything. I'm going to cut that out later in editing. Anyways, 
Uh, yeah, TCU, the clear-cut winner in the regular season. Obviously, K-State getting to Arlington as well. I don't think that game will be a pick but give me four quarters of Will Howard against TCU, and that game's way different in Fort Worth, so we'll see. I did have some TCU fans saying today that they would show up more to Arlington than they did to their own stadium, so I don't know. I don't know what to think of TCU right now. TC fans say a lot of things. That's true. That's true. <laughs> what a lucid thought you had. Uh, so do you want to go back to Texas Baylor first, or do you just want to bury that one and move on to the rest of the Big 12? Um, yeah, let's start there. Uh, we'll go in chronological order. That'll help me kind of stay organized. Hang on one second. All right. Uh, I'm paying at Whataburger. You talk for a minute. Yeah, hey, man, Kyle. Uh it's all West Texas, Whataburger, Chicago, and company now, but we'll forgive you. Texas, Baylor finishing up the all the right things. I do want to talk about TCU real quick. Everything they needed to happen this season has happened for them. Clemson losing twice. LSU losing to Texas A&M today. Um, going back to Notre Dame, beating Clemson. USC winning today. Michigan putting their foot all over the throat of Ohio State today, just everything that needed to happen this season for TCU to be a lock in the playoffs if they beat Kansas State has happened. Now all they have to do is beat K-State. Man, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. There was a lot of pressure today against Iowa State, and they did that too. So, Are, are, they, are they in even with a, a competitive loss? I, I mean, everything has gone their way. Everything they've needed to happen this season has happened for them. Alabama having multiple losses. Um, I mean, if Tennessee losing again to South Carolina, everything they've needed to happen has happened. So are they in with a loss? A competitive loss. Let's see. If USC wins the Pac-12, I mean, who else? That's what I'm struggling with. Um, so much happened around them today, to your point, that was fortunate for them that I think a a one-loss TCU that doesn't win their conference, maybe they get jumped by Alabama, two-loss Alabama. but Uh, That's sitting at home? It's hard to leave them out, though. Yeah, I mean, like, you're going to punish them for for appearing in their conference title game? Tough. I thought – I really don't know. Now, TCU has to win. I mean, they they should. They control their own destiny. If they lose, it's their own it's their own fault if they don't get in. Yeah, kind of. Uh, I mean, I thought a couple weeks ago, one loss TCU would not get in, but that was with you know some other assumptions that yeah. didn't hold true. So I, I don't know. I, I think. I mean, I mean, they got so little respect even while they were undefeated. Right. Part of me is like, yeah, one loss is going to do them in, but who the heck else do you put in? Like, even if USC wins out and, you know, Michigan wins, the Big Ten, Georgia wins, that's three. But who the heck is number four after that? It's a great question. Um, Tennessee, it was right there in front of them. They could have skated through the season and gone in without a Big 12 cha- or without a SEC championship appearance, but that's toast. LSU is toast. It would have been a good year for another group of five if, yeah. if a UCF, oh, yeah. Cincinnati, or BYU could have run the table. But Two no, lane. No, yeah, nobody was even close, really, from the group of five. Um, 
we got another speaker, and then I want to circle back to the Friday game, and then we'll kind of recap the weekend. Cole, an avid Gauchos After Dark listener, appreciate your participation. What do you have for us, man? Oh, nothing yet. Um, just uh, pretty hyped about K-State. Um, it's a good game. I actually was a little busy tonight through a couple, like the second and third quarter. Um, but got to watch the whole fourth and – just uh, excited for the Cats. I'm ready to go to Arlington. And I uh, actually ran into a uh, Texas Tech fan tonight down at the Domain in Austin, Texas. So, shout out to the Red Raiders. Congrats on the win. Yeah, we, we tend to be everywhere. There are a lot of us. It's, and uh, It's all West Texas, right? Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, sorry, no. our friend, uh, Maddie in Austin. Yeah. Um. That'll be fun, though. I hope the Cats have a good showing in Arlington. Uh, I, I imagine y'all have alumni bases pretty close by, you know, if not in Dallas. I'm sure you'll have a lot in, like, Oklahoma City, Kansas City. That's yeah. not a trip. So. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think there's going to be a lot of K-State fans there. I, I know I'm planning on going, so I'm excited. Well, best of luck to you. And uh, great season, win or lose. I know you obviously prefer to win it, but uh, climbing – punching a ticket to the Big 12 championship game. And obviously y'all are set up for a New Year's Six appearance, which would be just incredible for a program like Kansas State. I always think back to 19, I think it was 97 when y'all won. It was called the Alliance back then, but Alliance, BCS, New Year's Six. And then now a quarter century later to be back in position to potentially do that again. A quarter century of success for where y'all were as a program in like the 80s obviously about to shut the football program down I think is a really cool story just in the college football landscape so uh, I've always had big respect for Kansas State um, going back to the Bill Snyder the first Bill Snyder era so good luck on Saturday next weekend and uh, like I told our last speaker I think a lot of Texas Tech fans are going to be pulling for y'all Appreciate it, man, so much. All right, Rob, Texas-Baylor, we thought that might be a consequential game if K-State didn't handle their business, but they did handle their business. So it solidifies Texas as the third-place team. And I don't know how long we want to spend on this, but Dave Aranda is 13-14, and 14, below 500 in Big 12 play after three years. Um. Texas will probably get the Alamo Bowl invite. Don't want to rehash that too long either. But uh, what other take, season takeaways for Texas and Baylor do you have after their game on Friday? I mean, I, I think you're kind of glossing over the fact that he's 13 and 14 in Big 12 play with a Big 12 championship. He was, I mean, they were really good in between. And they went 2 and 7 in 2020 and in his first year. And just, I don't like to be the guy that's just going back and harping on how right I was all the time, but I will tell you, I I warned you about the the even years for Baylor. They're just yeah. not good in even years, and I don't understand that really. I guess their schedule is that much tougher every other year. Yeah, and, you know, I don't really buy the excuse from their COVID year when they went 2-7 and seven that it was a rebuild or whatever because – Look, I mean, you lose pieces every season, but they inherited an 11-win team that was playing for a Big 12 
championship. And they parlayed that into a two and seven season. They said, oh, well, we had to fire Larry Fedora. We got Jeff Grimes in. Like, okay, you got your staff in. It's year three. You've recruited for three years with this staff. Um, you got your hand-picked quarterback, and you sent Bohannon to the portal. And you were preseason number one in the Big 12. You had the most first-place votes out of any team in the conference. And you parlayed all of that into a losing record in conference play. So, so what's the excuse now? Now that it's not COVID and, oh, well, all we inherited was an 11-win team. What is it now? Yeah, and I think on the other side of the coin, Texas pretty much did exactly what everyone thought they would do. Uh, they were in the mix, eight and four. Kind of a an early season stumble with some quarterback issues because of some injuries. But hey, it's not seven win Sark anymore. So I, I guess credit to Texas and Baylor is probably the most underwhelming team of the Big Twelve this year. Yeah, I mean, Baylor and OU were picked 1-2 preseason, and uh, they both finished 6-6. Six and six. Oklahoma only went 3-6 and six in conference play. Baylor went 4-5. and five. So, yeah, those two are, I would say, are like co-equal disappointments in the conference by far. Yeah, I mean, certainly, but that's year three with Aranda coming off a of Big 12 championship, and that's year one for burnt vegetables. So... I don't know. It's just a, a little bit of a. I mean, yes, they're they're co-equals there in the the failure department, but I would say Aranda's probably a bigger disappointment this year, especially in year three. And how much are both of these fan bases uh, freaking out today? You've seen a lot of oh, they picked the wrong quarterback and kind of some issues with Dave Aranda's style there in Waco after a Big Twelve championship, and then. Brent Venables, the message board genius page was having a crazy day tonight with uh, struggling, you know, with little old Texas Tech versus Oklahoma, who they never lose to. Yeah, I mean, reality check for OU, you know, you're you were six and five coming into the game, just like little old Texas Tech. You were two, two and a half point favorites. Um, I know programs like that or fans of programs like that think they can just by birthright show up with the right logo on their helmet and win a game, but that's not how football is played. So, yeah, I mean, they they won one out of three Big 12 games that they played in this year against a bunch of schools and programs that are inferior to them to the extent that they had to leave for a new conference. And so uh, that is interesting for the Sooners. Jeff Axton had a good line on the pregame today. Uh, I was listening to Walking Over. Uh, he said, you can't just show up with a paperclip on the side of your head and expect to be good. So, it's true. Yeah. No, I mean, that's what Texas fans thought was the deal for many years, and uh, it's just not how it works. It's definitely not how it's going to work in the SEC. Like, no, certainly not. In the Big 12, those two programs might have had the um, the big brother kind of edge over – some other schools and maybe they got some officiating uh, favoritism at least until they decided to leave but uh, no you're not going to win just by the logo on your helmet when you show up to play Georgia, Florida, Alabama and LSU uh, let's move on to West Virginia who won another game today Oklahoma State they're in the conversation with the most 
disappointing team as well. Some real expectations there with Spencer Sanders in year seven, eight. How long has he been there? Um, lots returning, and they just could not get it done. Yeah, I do feel bad for Oklahoma State just because of the injury to Sanders and what an obvious difference that made in their season trajectory. On West Virginia, though, I couldn't help but wonder today what their season was like had they won the backyard brawl. I don't think they would have beaten Texas early on, but looking at the rest of their schedule, I think they could have been 5-1 and one rolling into Lubbock had just a couple things gone differently. And obviously a disappointing season. I think somebody can fact-check me on this. I'm pretty sure this is the first time West Virginia has suffered back-to-back seasons uh, since the 1970s. Wow. So, so, yeah, it's a disappointment, but they weren't far. And I know that's kind of a huge what-if game to play. Like, well, if you had won early and the wheels hadn't fallen off. But I don't think they were as bad as their record showed. No, and I, I don't think they were either. And, you know, if, what, what if Green plays most of the year? What if, I don't know, what if JT Daniels doesn't throw the interception against Pitt? I, I don't know. I, I do think there was a lot of conversation there. And you kind of, you, you fire Lions midseason, which doesn't do anything for the football program except set you up to hire the next guy. Um, but Neil Brown has saved his job, in my opinion, just due to the fact of the outrageous buyout and beating the Oklahoma schools to finish the year. I, I think he absolutely gets another season in, uh, in Morgantown. He, he just might, um, you know, he might, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of cliff in 2016. They were four and seven. They just had their asses handed to him by Iowa state. That, that was a 66 to 10 game. And then they go off against Baylor, who wasn't good that year, um, to get to five and seven. And I think had they lost that game, especially an ugly game versus Baylor, he probably would have been toast. Um, Rob, you asked me about potential offensive coordinators in the Big 12 that might be shown the door. I think there's a real chance Casey Dunn at Oklahoma State and Tom Manning at Iowa State. You know, they've been bad on offense all year, but I think Oklahoma State fans have kind of had it with Casey Dunn, and he might be on the short list of guys that gets replaced in, in terms of off- offensive coordinators in the league. Yeah, you see that with longtime head coaches that are feeling the heat that they just start firing everybody. Um, you certainly could see that with Gundy. And Tom Manning, I 100% he's toast, I think, and the offensive line coach because they regressed major Um after not dealing with a lot of that in Matt Campbell's era. Uh, Before we get to Carson, just real quick, I I don't want to talk too much about the TCU-Iowa State game, but TCU really hung their nuts all over Iowa State today. Uh, Family program, sorry. But what an incredible incredible performance to kind of reiterate who they are and what they want to be. And Iowa State dead after last week for a bowl game, so it didn't really mean much, but man. That, that was TCU's best game of the year against a bad Iowa State team. And so often in the Big 12, weird things happen, and the best teams don't do that. And so if if you're a Big 12 first kind of guy, that was what you wanted from TCU to, to kind of solidify their spot if they beat Kansas State in the, in the Big 12 championship. Yeah, Iowa State's not a good team, but they're a good defense. 
And TCU yeah. put up 55 on them if you don't count the pick six that added to their total. So, didn't they score? I think they scored two or three defensive touchdowns. Oh, I, I only saw the one before I left for the game. I, if they got more, uh, definitely could have been. All right, we will get to the Sunflower Showdown as well, but Carson, what's up, man? Oh, no, I was uh, I was just fact-checking Kyle, and he was right. 1976 and 77 was West Virginia's last time to ever have back-to-back losing seasons. It's one of those deals where – how long does the Neil Brown? How long does that last? How long do uh, you know coordinators on that team last? And when you're talking about coordinators, yeah, I think both of those Oklahoma State, Iowa State, be looking for new offensive coordinators. Um, the offensive line at Iowa State, though, you talked about the offensive line coach too. You know, they had turnover on the offensive line. You had one of those offensive lines the last few years where you had guys that have been starting for five, six years on that offensive line, and all of a sudden they're not there. So that I think was a was an issue for Iowa State um, this year. Uh, going to, I know y'all are about to get to the Sunflower Showdown, but. Um, Kansas State present, I think, presents a problem to TCU next week. You know, obviously they've seen each other. Um, TCU looked really good today, but Iowa State is also not a good football team. So um, that'll be interesting to see what what shakes out there. But you know, we're talking about underwhelming performances and Baylor being maybe the most underwhelming of them. Really, Oklahoma State to me is the most underwhelming uh, performance of the year. The Cowboys had all the, you know, they looked the part of, of being a team that could contend for a Big 12 championship, maybe get in the playoff early in the year. And then for some reason, just the wheels fall off. Nothing was working. And it just kind of looked like the coaching staff was disinterested towards the end of the year. And that trickled down to the players and the defense. The offense looked terrible um, about midway through the year. Even in the Texas Tech game, they didn't look great. And they still escaped with a win at home. But still, it's just one of those deals where, you know, everybody's been talking the last few years, is Gundy done here? Does he want to make a move? Do they want to move on from him? They've won 10-plus games all those years, too, and, and, you know, had good seasons. But when does that happen? So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the offseason. I don't think Gundy's going anywhere, but it, I think the offensive, the offensive coordinator role will be open probably as early as next week. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious on program trajectory there. And if we have any Oklahoma State fans that want to chime in one way or the other, would love to hear your thoughts. But, you know, rewind a year ago. They come up an inch short of winning the Big 12. They win the Fiesta Bowl versus Notre Dame. Oh, You know, we all thought, okay, Spencer Sanders coming back. They're going to be a contender for the Big 12, maybe another New Year's Six type situation. Uh, losing record in Big 12 play. Might have to fire one of their coordinators. Gundy has pretty explicitly said, I have no interest in playing in the transfer portal, playing in the NIL game. And they've got the 77th ranked recruiting class in the country right now. And maybe that changes a little bit before signing day, but I think to a great extent, the hay is in the barn. So I, I'm kind of curious if they are. I'm like, I mean, Gundy's proven to be a great coach for nearly 20 years. I'm not about to like predict their downfall, but I do think it's fair to have some level of worry or concern about overall program trajectory in Stillwater. Yeah, I think so. And I think you said it really well. I don't remember if you tweeted it or said it on the tailgate show or what, but it's not beneficial to buy a team at the height of program success. And that's what Oklahoma State was. They've been the best they've ever been for a decade. 
at some point that run has to end. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think Oklahoma State will get any better. I'm not sure that they get worse fast. But if you're just looking at trajectory heading into the Big 12, TCU playoff, Texas Tech just had the best season they've had and have their best recruiting class since, I don't know, 2011, um, if nothing else changes. Baylor is still recruiting well, even though they had a disappointing year. TCU is recruiting well right now, and I just said they're probably in the playoff. Cincinnati is hot with Luke Fickle. UCF is hot with Gus Malzahn. Um, BYU is looking pretty good, too. BYU is looking okay. Is Oklahoma State the fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe kind of in the pecking order in the new Big 12 after probably looking like number one in the preseason? Here, here's a question too is you know TCU they've looked great and I don't I don't disagree with that either Rob um Oklahoma State where does the you know where is the ceiling I think they've touched their ceiling and that's as far as Mike Gundy can get you you know we've seen that time and time again where they look like they're about to just eclipse what they've ever done in school history and then they just never get over that hump when does Oklahoma State say kind of like what TCU did with Gary Patterson he had a great teams at TCU obviously the last few years weren't great but he won a big 12 championship with Trayvon Boykin and all those guys just a few years back and it's one of those deals where TCU finally got to the point and they're like, Gary Patterson, great guy. We've loved him for so long. He's done such a good job at TCU. But at what point does it just go to, you know, we have to move on at some time. And Sonny Dykes comes in, brings some new energy. Obviously, having a guy that's been there for seven years and Max Duggan, it, it pays off tremendously having a quarterback like that. And that's that's done paid off huge dividends for him this year. But, yeah, you're right. At what point does it, does it happen to where it's just – now is the time to make a change. It's it's funny to say it, but Mike yeah. Gundy has been kind of underwhelming. It's a good question, and I was looking – I can't remember why I was looking at this, um, but I was looking at Patterson's head coaching record, and after – I think after those 2014 and 2015 seasons when they were really good, I think both of those were 10-plus wins. Um, it was pretty close to 500 for like – what was that? That would be, what, five, six years? And that, that was a long time. And he might have been a couple games above 500 in that span, in, in Big 12 play, I mean. And so I, I think Oklahoma State had one of those years this season and maybe two more of them being like four and five, five and four in conference would start to really move the needle in terms of enough of their decision makers and fan base saying, okay, we're, we're too stagnant, we're too complacent. Um, you know, I think a lot of TCU fans are probably looking at it I'm, I'm sure they're thankful they have Sonny Dykes, but they might be thinking we could have done something like this two years ago instead of you know waiting this long to do it. Um, so I don't think it would happen just after one year or even two years like this. But if it's two more after this one, that's when I think Oklahoma State might start wondering like are we are we stalling out and plateauing as a program under Gundy? It's one of those deals too. This is a question for Rob Kyle. Do you think it's one of those deals where even in the new Big 12, after Oklahoma and Texas are gone, Oklahoma State fans and, you know, even Texas Tech fans to some extent and Kansas State, we're thinking, you know, those two are gone. This thing's kind of open for the three, those top three teams, a TCU, a, a, you know, 
Baylor even, those five teams are like, now those two teams at the top are, are now gone. And Oklahoma State has this idea that they're going to be at the top of this conference every year. If they finish with a 500 record in the conference the next two, three years, who's to say that even with a 6-6, six and 7-5, six, and five, that they're not pleased with what Gundy's doing and they finally pull the trigger on it. And another question, you know, what is, what is TCU this year with Gary Patterson? Do they go 12-0 and 0 with a Gary Patterson coach team versus is what they've done this season with with Sonny Dykes. It's kind of it's kind of uh, interesting to to get opinions on who, how people think that would have gone. No, they don't. Man, that's pretty obvious. They, I agree. He, yeah, uh, I mean i I think Garrett Riley was a much needed addition, and I think uh, you know Sonny Dykes. As much as you just have Max Duggan and Kendra Miller and that defense and and Quentin Johnson, you also had fourteen transfers that came in and played quite a bit. So no, Gary Patterson wouldn't have gone 12 and zero. he would have gone six and six again, just like he was uh, the couple of years previous and everyone would have been complaining about him and he would have overworked the team and they would have had 29 season injury season ending injuries again. That That's just Gary Patterson and Mike Gundy's the same way. And what Oklahoma state has done to themselves is waited a year too long and you have to keep Mike Gundy going into the Big 12 unless you have a perfect replacement lined up. Because at this point, you can't, in my opinion, you can't be weak entering the new Big 12. And if you miss on a head coach going into the new conference as a, a team that's been there, uh, I don't think the transition is kind to you. And that'll set you back for five or six years, probably. Yeah, I think Carson, to your first question or to your second question, would TCU be having a success or having with Patterson? I'm a, I'm, I agree with Rob. I think it's a definite no. Uh, I mean, he had this same level of talent, roughly. I mean, TCU has always been third in talent behind Oklahoma and Texas in the Big Twelve, and he did well with that back in 2014, 2015. But the last five, six years. Uh, he's underachieved relative to that talent level, in my opinion. And so I think it would have been more of the same this season if he was still there. Uh, to your first question about kind of Oklahoma State's perception of themselves as a program going into the, into the new Big 12, I think it's kind of the beauty of the new Big 12 is almost every single program can make their case for why, you know, three years from now, five years from now, they'll be on top. TCU would say, well, we're there right now. UCF would tell you that they're about to explode once they get to the Power Five. So with Cincinnati, with Luke Fickle, BYU has always felt like a Power Five program that just hasn't had a seat at the table. Um, Oklahoma State, Baylor could argue they've been at the top of the old Big 12. Texas Tech with their new head coach, their NIL, their new facilities, uh, I think believes that they can ascend to that. And so that's certainly not the case in other conferences like in the ACC, it's pretty much Clemson, Florida State, and Miami that have a um, a relatively reasonable or sensible claim to that. You know, you can't really make the argument that Louisville or Virginia Tech or Virginia is about to usurp one of them as the conference's top dogs. But the new Big 12 is wide open, and that's where I think also to Rob's point, the timing for a lot of these programs has to be right because there's opportunity for everybody. And everyone's going to want to try to strike while the iron is hot to kind of start off on the right foot in the new conference as, you know, because somebody has to take the mantle. And so 
Uh, you know, if, if one program wins like three of the first five Big 12 titles in the first half decade of the new conference, then they'll kind of be viewed as that program. So I think a bunch of different teams can make a pretty reasonable claim as to why they'll be the new top program in the Big 12. And that's what I, I love about the new conference going forward. I have a question for you. We talked about who underachieved most, who overachieved the most this year. Um, the gut reaction, I think, for most people will be Kansas. Uh, but to me, it's Texas Tech. Uh, ninth to fourth, a 7-5 and five record. And we've talked ad nauseum about everything that they've done that they haven't done in so long. Best year since 2009. That's Kansas' best year since 2008. Um, first bowl games, first back-to-back, Big 12 wins, whatever. I think both of these programs jumped quite a bit. Uh, but for year two under Leipold and year one under McGuire, I would kind of lean Texas Tech as the one who punched up even further. And they finished strong and Kansas didn't. I'd say TCU. They were picked seventh, finished first. Well, then too. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Kyle. That's kind of the, the easy answer, I guess, that I missed. But yes. They probably, right. I'd have to double check it. Them or Kansas probably exceeded their season win total by the, by the, greatest number of victories you know tech tech finished with seven wins on a five and a half over under i think kansas was two and a half and they finished with six yes it was two and a half so i doubt tcu's was as high as eight and a half so they probably exceeded more in that respect as well i think they were more like seven and a half if i recall correctly so really it's tcu in terms of number of spots moved up in the standings from preseason Big 12 poll and final standings and also uh, win total. So I'd have to give the nod to TCU, but I think Kansas and Tech are, are close behind. Yeah, I think if you don't give it to TCU, be obvious for the obvious reasons of their probably the only answer there just because they're 12 and 0 brand new head coach um obviously they played the transfer portal really well which is just a a a nod to the transfer portal and what it's done to college football college athletics in general you can take a team that was you know finished in the bottom of a conference the year prior to being a conference champion and in the conference or in the uh, college football playoff conversation, just like that because of the way the transfer portal works. But yeah, Texas tech, Kansas fans uh, have to be just ecstatic of how this year went for them um, here at Texas tech, obviously for, for fans, if you take your, your, cap off of being an analyst or whatever you want to call yourself and just look at it as a fan you're thinking yeah six and six seven and five was what we expected this year so did you meet expectations pretty much yes did you exceed them i don't know that you exceeded them but you met the expectations so that's how i would look at it there in a texas tech perspective you met the in-house expectations but you right. blew away the national expectation and i i think that's something to be said there that's agreeable gauchos after dark presented by our friends over at Barnett, Howard, and Williams, bhwlawfirm.com. Um, Rob, you and I will have a whole lot to talk about recapping Texas Tech versus OU uh, specifically, but I think we got to a lot of different points of view and, and questions and comments around the rest of the Big 12. Great season. Uh, I'm glad it didn't work out this way, but depending on the results during the night games today, the Sunflower Showdown and Tech OU, you could have had like half the conference finished with the same conference record. But even though that didn't come to fruition, a ton of parody and 
a lot of people still under the impression, I don't know if they're just completely unfamiliar with analytics or if they don't follow it or don't like it, still saying things like this is the most down the Big 12 has ever been. That's because TCU doesn't have a Texas or OU logo on the side of their helmet. Top to bottom, this is as good as the conference has been, and there's a lot of data that supports that. So pretty pretty compelling season, I think, for a lot of different teams, a lot of exciting games, and doing Gauchos After Dark, this is our first season doing this, seemed like pretty much every weekend there was a, a good slate before the game started and at least one or two pretty remarkable games every weekend to recap. So it, I know we've got one more Big 12 game left and then, of course, bowl season, but it's been a lot of fun doing this and I, I think a strong season for the Big 12. If I gave you five and a half total wins for the Big 12 in uh, bowl season, what would you say? Um, of course, would want to see some matchups before doing that. Uh, we got eight teams going. Um, I'll go slight under without seeing the matchups. Fair. Uh, any final thoughts, or do you want to bring this puppy home? I've got lots of final thoughts, but I want to give them tomorrow night. Over under an hour and 52 minutes for tomorrow night's podcast. Uh, uh, well, I would like to say under, but knowing okay. uh, probably the over. Sounds I'm good. taking the over for you boys. <laughs> Hammer the over. Um, cool. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in, not just this weekend, but those of you that come in every week. It's been a lot of fun doing this, and uh, I think we probably will do some version of this during bowl season or, or conference championship weekend next weekend, so uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, thank you to our sponsor, Barnett Howard & Williams Law Firm, bhwlawfirm.com. Everybody go have a good evening. Go to church tomorrow, and Reckon Tech. Love y'all. Love y'all.